Well, the psalm writer knows how to be cheerful, as we see this morning. (laughs) We're continuing our sermon series on our family playlist and talking about specifically songs that the congregation has submitted. It'd be helpful if my laptop had stayed on, so I would know what those were this morning. But we're talking about songs that all of you have submitted over the last several weeks, and I've gone through and I've organized them around themes as we use them to examine some truths about the human experience found in the book of Psalms, which are literally just songs. And as we come to that, we've talked about just the idea of how we experience part of our humanity through songs, and that's why we have the book of Psalms in the Bible. We've talked about some of the really just lovey, dovey, sappy love songs last week. There were about 18 million of them. I think one out of every two songs someone submitted to the playlist was a love song of some sort. Um, on, the, on the flip side, it's really hard this week because we're moving past that talking about sad songs or songs that help us deal with our grief, just like we find in the Psalms. There are several key psalms that help us deal with grief. But if you Google what is the saddest psalm, you'll get Psalm 88, because it is probably one of the most depressing psalms, as we just read. In fact, in the Hebrew, as, as in our English translation here, the last word of the psalm is literally darkness. Usually psalms, when they talk and deal with, with some of the negative aspects of our emotion, they kind of sandwich that reality in between declarations of the salvation of God. They'll begin with something like, God is so great and awesome. They'll get to the middle, wow, my life is terrible right now. And then they'll get to the end and they'll say, but God is still pretty good. And that's a general gross oversimplification of how a lot of the songs, psalms that deal with grief and hardship in the Bible are organized. But this one's a little different. He mentions at the very beginning, if you read the very start of this psalm, his faith in God. And it's peppered throughout the psalm. But he doesn't, the writer does not follow that typical pattern. And he never comes to a final resolution that God is still enthroned and the one who's caring and watching out. Instead, the writer comes to this resolution of still being in darkness and struggling with life, even though he clings to faith. It offers for us a more realistic view of grief. You know, at this point in my life, I've done over a hundred funerals. It's weird to think about that. You know, I've buried enough people to fill a small town or to fill a medium-sized church. And in thinking of that, in all of the planning meetings I've sat in, it's weird to think, but like any other aspect of planning a worship service, there becomes this list of really popular songs and if you, you sit down and you plan a worship service, and you'll always get a list of songs. There's about half a dozen of them that a congregation really, really likes. I was hoping to be able to use some of y'all's favorite worship songs here, but I realized I've only been here six weeks, and I can't quite tell you what those are yet. 
But what I can tell you in a much sadder way are some of the most popular songs for funerals nowadays. You know, Amazing Grace is an old standby. Everyone wants to end the funeral with Amazing Grace. But one of the most popular ones is the one we sang just a few songs ago in the opening set. It is well with my soul. And you play that song, and, and whether it is the more modern version on a, on a guitar with a band, with a setup like we had, even with a, a full array of instruments, or whether it's the more traditional version like I had a couple churches ago with an organist and a huge organ with 20-some ranks I'm not even sure what that really means, but that was impressive. People would not say, that's impressive, Pastor. And so I'm sure it is. And he would sit there, and the sound that would come out of that thing would literally not just fill the building, it would fill you. You would feel it in your soul, to borrow a phrase from my preteen daughter. And they would play that song. It's one of the ones that's always requested. Can we play this? Also, another one is a song we mentioned two weeks ago as we started the sermon series, In the Garden. That's a very, very popular funeral song. because It was a very popular worship song back in the early and mid-20th century. But these songs help the people. They help the people to grieve. And that's important. When we sit down to plan a service, I always sit down with the family and we close the planning meeting. If it's a normal planning meeting, there are some that are very not normal. But if it's a normal planning meeting for, for a funeral, memorial service, I always sit down and I close the meeting by asking them for the next 20 or 30 minutes or some families two or three hours later um, to share with me some of their favorite memories of their loved ones. And I get my little pen out on my phone. My phone has a little pen in it. One of the pluses of having an Android phone, I guess. And uh, <laughs> I didn't intend for that to be a funny joke. <laughs> but it works. Wow, at least for the right half of the room. Um, but I get my little pen out and I'll sit there and I'll start jotting notes down on my phone. And, and they'll relate memories to me. And one of the reasons, as I explained to the family at that time, is that in our culture, we have this horrible habit of bottling all of these emotions up and not in dealing with them. We want to sit and we want to bottle up the emotions about the person who's passed away. We want to bottle them up because it hurts to think about them in this time. And one of the most helpful things is to create a safe, secure space where you can come in and as a family, you can sit around the table or the couch or if you're in a traditional church, the really dated colored parlor with green shag carpet and gold curtains. But wherever it is, you can sit there and you can talk and discuss the memories of this person who was so dear to you because it helps you begin to process the pain and the grief that they are no longer physically here. And if you don't begin to do that, if you don't begin to deal with that grief, then it comes out later in unhealthy ways. 
And then after they've talked for a while about that, we, we move on and we talk about what were some of the things you remember this person struggling with. Because one of the things you have to remember is they were human, just like you and me. And I get my pen back out of my phone and I start taking notes on a new page in my notepad about the struggles that they had, the parts of life that weren't easy for them. And out of this discussion at the end of the planning meeting comes some great stories. I had this one funeral I did for this guy who had worked, dare I say it, for his whole life as a lobbyist, as a pastor. Sometimes it's hard because of what someone did for a living to do the funeral. This person was a lobbyist that I was doing the funeral for. But some of the stories his family told were so great. But I would sit there and I was writing and my phone had died. So I was on a a yellow legal notepad and I was writing. And if you've come Wednesday nights to the midweek study, you notice my handwriting isn't the best. And and I'm writing these notes out and they were telling this story. And it's one of those times the family stayed for like two hours telling stories after we'd planned the service. And every story ended the same way. They would start, well, you know, grandpa was over here and we were all there for Thanksgiving. And then... And something about the dog, and the dog ran in the kitchen, took the turkey, and ran out, and, and Grandpa went out chasing that dog with a beer in his hand and his underwear. And then Grandma, sitting beside me, would gently put her hand on my shoulder and say, Pastor, we can't say that story in church. Or, or, or the time when, when Grandpa caught all of us boys in high school down by the fishing hole one early morning because we'd fallen asleep and we'd steal in his four-wheeler and he came riding down the other four-wheeler in his underwear. <laughs> Grandma's hand slowly and steadily on my shoulder. Now, preacher, we can't use that story in church. And this went on for like five or six stories. I kid you not. But what was so helpful was this large extended family for a guy who had 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 a career that, you know, we kind of cringe a little at. They were able to come together, some of them who had issues with their grandfather, some of them who hadn't talked to each other. They were all able to gather around each other and around that table as we planned and we remembered and began to deal with the pain of loss because they confronted it head on. One of the things we fail at so often in the church is the fact that we don't deal with negative emotions head on. We like to hide behind almost a toxic positivity. But not only does that do harm to people, But it's not biblical. We see in Psalm 88 today the fact that God, through the psalmist, meets the struggle of the people head on. It's written in the context of one of the darkest days, some scholars think, of the nation of Israel as they've watched the destruction of their capital city. And they found out they're going to be carted off in exile to a foreign land. Everything about their identity has been destroyed.
No wonder they are sad. No wonder they are heartbroken. No wonder when the psalmist puts pen to paper, he ends with the word darkness. The example we see in the Psalms is to meet that grief head on and to continue to deal with it. Makes it impressive that he can cling even at the end of the Psalm as he says to his faith in God with all of this going on. It's a lot like that song we sang just a few times ago, the one I mentioned that's so popular in funerals, It Is Well With My Soul. Written by a gentleman named Horatio Spafford. I'm going to murder his name like I do all names. You know, Horatio had a terrible life. He lost his four-year-old son and his business in the great fire, Chicago fire of 1871. And then, so he sent his, his wife and kids on forward to him to go back to his home country of England, and their ship sinks off the coast. All four of his daughters die. His wife sends what became an infamous telegram home that says, I'm saved alone. And then he gets on the next ship to go home to be with them. And as the ship he's on is passing the same area along the coast where his daughters drown to death, he sits on the bow and he writes this hymn that we just sang, It is well with my soul. And I think of the fact that someone could pen those words. Someone could write that after everything they have lost. That they could sit down after losing all of their children, after losing everything that matters in their life, having nothing left, and as their ship rounds the corner to where that loss happened, they can sit down and have the tenacity of heart to still carry on and do so in a faithful way. How powerful is that? takes a human experience like we see in these kind of songs that helps us confront that grief head on and experience it and begin to press through it with the help of Christ. You know, I think of all these sad songs and... You know, we can go through hymns all day long. So many of them are sad. But there's some of them that kind of pop to mind out of the list you all submitted. You know, a few of you submitted Hurt by Johnny Cash, and even the people in the chat are talking about it. Jim and Chris are. Um, weirdly enough, it's not really by Johnny Cash. It's a cover by Johnny Cash of a Nine Inch Nails song. Believe it or not, Trent Razor wrote that song in the early 2000s, and Johnny Cash just covered it before he passed away. We see it in songs like The Search by NF. 
I don't know who of you submitted that. I'd never heard of this artist before. And I was listening to it over and over again this week as I'm preparing for the sermon. You know, these songs deal with that grief, but they also deal with a component of the grief that is so unique to our human experience, and that's that isolation. When we're in grief, we feel as if we're alone. When we look at Psalm 88, there are littered throughout the Psalms this idea that the psalmist feels abandoned. Grief is this isolating thing. It's something that makes us feel set apart, not in a good way. But if we're, as if we're in a silo of our own sad environment. I was at one church, and, and I'd gotten there, and I was meeting with new people, as, as I've slowly begun doing here. I've also been meeting with a lot of contractors at the house, which is less, less exciting. But I was meeting with new people, and I met with one member and talked about her sister. Her sister used to be a very faithful member of this congregation. It was an old downtown, very traditional, liturgical congregation. But then all of a sudden, the sister just dropped off the radar, completely disappeared from the life of the church. And I always wondered why. And in talking with the other sister, it it turned out that the younger sister had lost a child, lost her daughter who was 23. Very traumatic situation, died of of a, a strange disease, Legionnaire's disease. Not a very common thing in America. And it was such a traumatic experience for her, having watched her daughter grow up in that church, having watched her family thrive in that church, having watched all that happen, that as she sat through the service in the sanctuary, it became hard for her to enter back in because she felt alone. She felt abandoned at that moment. Even though there were friends and family around her, even though she was praying and singing and part of the life of the church, she felt alone because her grief had swallowed her. When we look at a lot of these songs and a lot of the psalms, like Psalm 88, the predominant way we experience the grief that the psalmist writes about or these artists sing about is through that feeling of isolation and abandonment. The psalmist often quotes, is quoted in some form saying that they feel God is distant, just like that lady as she sat there. And couldn't even go back in her own home sanctuary. Because the pain was so hard. And this is a feeling that isn't just encapsulated in in some of the psalms or some of the modern songs like Hurt. But it's something that is so universal to our experience. You can look down through the ages and see that in music. We see it in hymns. We see it in modern songs. We see it in older songs. You know, Ricky Nelson wrote a song called Lonesome Town, or I shouldn't say wrote, but performed it in the early 50s, or even up in the 60s. You had uh, J. Frank Wilson and the Cavaliers who made Last Kiss, I know it's kind of a teenage tragedy song, popular. If you're my age, you know it from Pearl Jam covering it in the 90s. But there's a reason this kind of content keeps coming back around, whether it's in the 50s or the 60s, whether it happens to be in the 70s, even though it's kind of a weird time I hear, or the 80s. 
even up through modern day, it's because it's part of the universal human experience, and we have to deal with that. There's a reason why we still sing and hear songs that move our hearts and make them grieve. Because they call us to a point of encountering and dealing with the hard parts of life we don't necessarily want to always look at. This is the reason the psalmist writes about this. It's the reason God, in putting together the Bible, includes these. Not every part of the Bible is this happy little story where it's nothing but butterflies and great times and little kids coloring and everything that's good and wonderful in the universe. Because being human is hard. And God knows this, and he knows that we have to move forward in that experience, even at times full of grief and sadness and sorrow, even in times when we feel lost, as if something has been taken from us. You know, I went through this phase in high school with me and my friends, and my daughters kind of went through this phase in elementary school where we really liked the song American Pie. I don't know the three of you that submitted that, But I would listen to this with my friends, and it took me a long time to realize that it was a sad song, because it told the story of several meaningful musicians dying in a plane crash and how it impacted a nation at the time. But one of the things these songs of grief and sorrow do is they allow us to face that human condition Together. They give us a focal point where we can experience the same thing, where we can share in that emotion, where we can empathize, where we can sit down and say, I I understand. On some level, some way, some form, greater than just words at times can express, I understand. That feeling, that pain. We can do that when we hear those sad songs in our life, when we hear those songs that are played at funerals or memorials, when we hear that sad song come on the radio, it reminds us that we share that hardship with everyone, and we don't have to face it alone. You know, one of the saddest songs I can think of, because it's me, is a song by Counting Crows. You know, Raining in Baltimore, a song about the singer feeling alone. And for me, you know, I've listened to that song so many times when I've encountered trauma in my life, which happens at a frightening rate, probably because of the job I have. But it helps remind me that that grief is real. 
But every time I listen to it, it also reminds me, I don't face it alone because there was some guy who wrote this song and he kind of understood that grief, maybe not exactly the way I do, maybe not the the same kind of grief because I'm not sure he was ever a pastor, maybe not the same kind of way when you sit with someone for a whole afternoon in in their hospital room and you counsel them on how to put their wife of 40 years on hospice. He doesn't quite understand that, but he understands the loss and the isolating feeling it leads to. And I can listen to that and I can realize that I'm not alone. In the same way as I open the Psalms when I've had a hard day and I sit down and read and I can say as I get to the 88th song, I understand what it means to sit in darkness because I have been there. Sometimes even that day. Knowing that in the hardest parts of life, we are not alone, but we go through this together with each other because we all can express that grief and experience it together at times. Also knowing that we do not go through this alone because we go through this with our Christ who has led us himself in the same path of suffering. As he hung on a cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing he has experienced, even like us, that same grief we read about or we listen to on the radio or we experience in our day-to-day lives. As people of faith, we can encounter these hard things that give us grief, that make us feel isolated and abandoned and alone. We can encounter them knowing we do so arm in arm with faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, with a God who's willing to experience them with us. That even though, as the psalmist says earlier in the book, even though we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't have to fear any evil because your rod God and your staff comfort me it doesn't say the valley is going to be light and it's going to be easy and it's going to be simple to walk through it didn't say that he's going to make it as bright as the noonday sun for us no we're still going to walk through the valley of the shadow of evil we're still going to walk through those dark places. We still have to meet that challenge one prodding step forward on the path of life after another. But what we can glean from the psalm today, what we can take from the songs that we listen to that move our heart with such pain at times, is that we don't do it alone. We do it with each other and with our God. So whatever you're facing today, wherever you are, whatever hardship you might have, I pray, I hope, that when you hear one of these songs or any song that moves your heart in that way, that you might remember. Even if your whole world, like the psalmist, is darkness, 
You don't walk in the dark alone. But you go with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.